Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. Today, I'd like to talk with you about an aspect of our political life here as a nation, or really, more properly, about your political life here as a nation. The reason I say your and not uh, mine or ours on this occasion is because I want to talk with you about voting, and voting is not something that I, as a citizen of the United Kingdom, have the privilege of doing here in the United States, but it is something that all of you out there who are citizens of the United States and are entitled to vote uh, should have on your minds. Because uh, on the 6th of May this year, 6th of May, just about a month's time, just under a month's time by the time you're watching this, uh, the city of Fort Worth, at least, is holding uh, general elections for mayor and city council. I'm just reading that off uh, one of the official websites. And Therefore, this raises some questions for us, both uh, immediately in relation to this uh, issue of, okay, should I vote and who should I vote for in this election? Does it really matter? Does it really matter whether I participate and so on? Uh, and also raises some broader questions which will be relevant to you, whether or not you're able to vote in this particular election. You might not live in Fort Worth. You might live somewhere outside that doesn't have an election ongoing. Or you might just be like me and not able to vote at all at the moment, um, at least where you live. Um, but nonetheless, you want to think about the principles that ought to inform our thinking about this uh, subject because it's one that is not irrelevant to all of us. So um, what I want to do is just to uh, run you down through a few uh, different ways of approaching this question. I want to give you some biblical perspectives on it, um, some pragmatic uh, ideas, just practical uh, issues that you might like to think about. And then I want to make some uh, constitutional points that flow from not so much from the scriptures, uh, but from the way in which the founding fathers of this nation uh, sought to frame the form of government that we had here. And I hope this will have the effect, actually, I'll level with you right from the outset. I hope this will have the effect of encouraging you to vote in all except um, the most extenuating circumstances for reasons that will become clear. So first, let's just start with some biblical considerations. And um, we've got to be uh, fairly upfront, I think, about a couple of things. The first is the, the standpoint from which many of us approach uh, anything to do with contemporary secular politics is a rather cynical one. Uh, it's hard to believe sometimes that our elected representatives uh, really care much about uh, the principles on which they're uh, supposedly elected on or the a vast majority of the people who vote for them. And it is true that some of our elected representatives deserve the rather terrible reputation that many politicians have in our day and age. But it is not true that all of them do. And to a certain extent, one of the challenges here to our uh, ourselves as Christians and as mature people is to not allow that cynical reaction, if it is present, which it might not be, it might be that you don't feel that way, but, but to the extent that it might be there in any of us, or perhaps even most or all of us, not to allow that somewhat tired and cynical attitude to uh, overwhelm all the other objective considerations that ought really to shape our thinking on this subject. And so when you come to the Bible, what you discover is, well, surprise, surprise, there isn't a great deal here about voting in civil uh, election contexts because it wasn't really a possibility. The Bible, uh, well, let's take the New Testament, which is um, where obviously Romans 13 is a passage that's relevant to this. First uh, Peter 2 is relevant to this kind of question. One or two other texts in the Gospels that, where Jesus and others interact with political authorities, they're not written in the kind of representative democracies that we live in if we live here in the US and in most of the Western world. So you don't find 
uh, much material here on uh, voting per se. What you do find is stress laid in a couple of areas. The first is on citizens being subject to the authorities over them, even if they're unjust, which of course raises a whole bunch of other questions that we're not going to talk about here. But then also it, the texts, uh, especially Romans 13, calls attention to the very, very sober responsibilities that those who are given power ought to exercise. And I'll just read um, a couple of verses just to uh, highlight the significant scripture ascribes to our rulers. Chapter 13 of the book of Romans, say verse 4, continuing mid-sentence here. He, the civil magistrate, is God's servant for your good. And uh, the thought there is that the same as what's expressed later on, the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, talking there about taxation and other uh, aspects of government. Notice, in other words, that in this context, the representatives, or no, not the representatives, the people who are given civil authority, however they've got it, are described as ministers of God and servants of God. They're doing God's work somehow. The authority that they have is divine authority, and they are, therefore ought to exercise it in godly and mature and biblical ways. Now, course our lament is so often that they don't but ask yourself this question in the situation that perhaps wasn't envisaged by Paul the apostle when he wrote that in a situation like ours where you've got a, a representative republic where the citizens get to vote how would he extend that argument to the question of whether the citizens have a responsibility to vote and how or how they ought to uh, exercise that responsibility. It seems to me that there's certainly a degree to which, and I don't want to absolutize this, but there's certainly a degree to which one might reasonably say, look, um, uh, in a political system where the citizens get to speak infrequently, but nonetheless meaningfully, in order to establish who may represent them in public office, some kind of duty, some kind of Christian biblical duty devolves upon them to make their voices heard and to speak wisely. Uh, there's a sense in which we, or all those eligible to vote, are those who do the governing in the sense that they're the ones responsible for choosing their representatives. And in fact, you know very well, I was just looking up in my little uh, copy of the Declaration of Independence here and the Constitution of the United States of America. This was sent me by the Cato Institute. Uh, I, they didn't just send it to me. Uh, it's a, a, a constitutional, non-partisan uh, research foundation and think tank I actually sent off for this because I wanted an extra copy. Um, and you know very well, I'll read the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that last phrase is the one that is worth calling attention to in this context, isn't it? The framers of the Constitution uh, and the Declaration of Independence in uh, 4th of July, 1776, dated right here, not an original, obviously, highlighted that... Uh, Governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. And they did that, they made that affirmation in a context where 
They are affirming that our creator, the living God, has endowed us with certain inalienable rights. And those need to be secured, not granted, but secured by government, which gets its consent from the electorate. So how would they say that we ought to take into account the teaching of scripture in relation to the opportunity that we have to vote in, or the opportunity that you have, as I said, to vote in the forthcoming elections uh, in Fort Worth and in various other places. I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? I certainly don't want to go as far as to uh, insist upon it, but I would say that there are good biblical and actually historical constitutional reasons for thinking that th this is how this nation is supposed to work and it's how uh, the framers of the Declaration of Independence and likely I think the Apostle Paul would have encouraged those able to vote to, to respond uh, as we approach May 6th and all the other opportunities to vote that we have coming up. Now you know, as soon as somebody says something like that uh, there's a whole bunch of objections that sometimes get raised and I want to address some of them because I don't think they're insignificant and they're certainly worthy of a hearing. And I'd like to respond to a number of them briefly. So the, one of the points that's made is that we often find ourselves in a position where you're looking at a list of candidates and really there's none of them is perfect. And in fact, it might be the case that all of them fall significantly short on perhaps even some major issues of where you'd want a candidate to be for him or her to get your support. And I guess I want to, at that point, I want to just hold my hands up and say that's, that's absolutely right. Uh, you may well find yourself in that position. And I actually think uh, that in the most extreme cases, this is one reason why it might be legitimate just not to vote at all. I mean, uh, an illustration I've sometimes used in this context, uh, you're not obligated to cast a vote if you're required to choose between death by hanging and death by firing squad. Uh, if it just looks like two forms of uh, terrible future, you're not obligated to dignify such a terrible choice with your time and your effort and your thought. But I guess I want to say, look, pragmatically speaking, most of the time we're not in that extreme a circumstance. Uh, let's just take a couple of examples. You, you might find... Uh, let's suppose you thought that tax rates were 30% too high and you had one candidate who threatens to increase them by 10% and another candidate who would like to decrease them by 10%. Well, neither is doing what you think is right. Neither is doing what you think is possible. But you can see that one of them gets closer to the right kind of direction than the other. Uh, on more serious issues and the issue of abortion and uh, related matters has been in the news, obviously, in recent months. It's possible to imagine circumstances uh, in which uh, civil officials are uh, very strongly in favour of abortion uh, and would like to see abortion rights extended. And other civil officials are less strongly in favour of abortion but would like to see those rights restricted but does not restricted to the extent that scripture requires. Now, again, neither of us is... neither none of us is required to endorse 100% of what those candidates is saying in voting for either of them. But prudentially, you can easily see the obvious point that one of them is moving more in the right direction, slightly more rapidly than the other. And actually, this has uh, additional support for this way of thinking could be deduced from a, a Christian eschatological framework, where we know, don't we, that the way that the Lord is changing the world and making it uh, more 
like the pattern of heaven and more honoring to him and to his son is not all at once. It's gradual. We ought to be ready to expect gradual change. And so I'd encourage you not to despair if all the candidates presented to you seem flawed in some respect. Yeah, if, if they just all looked absolutely appalling, I could imagine you saying, yeah, okay, fair enough. I'm not even going to take the time of day on this occasion. But most of the time, they don't look all equally bad. And therefore, it would be, I think, a prudent and reasonable thing most of the time for us to choose the least bad option, let's say. Another objection that sometimes people make is that you've got just so little impact as a single voter on the constitutional process and the electoral process. And I think, again, uh, hands up, that's absolutely right, isn't it? I mean, even in a place like Fort Worth, where you've got these local elections, I was just looking at the figures the other day, and it, it looks like you're getting hundreds of thousands of votes, or at least tens of thousands of votes in each of the districts. And there are districts two through 13, I think I don't, I dimly remember. Uh, yes, district two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 10 and 11 are up for uh, re-election, as well as the mayoral position. So, uh, no, of course your vote makes very little difference. But actually, I think this is something which is salutary to us. It is a good thing, probably, for us to be reminded of our insignificance. And sometimes we, the reason why we feel frustrated at the smallness of our voice as individuals is because we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We think we ought to be more significant and we ought to be heard. And frankly, we ought not to be. We are one in several million people in the greater DFW area. You are one in several tens or even hundreds of thousands in the district in which you're voting if you're in the Fort Worth area. And yes, yeah, so be it. It's actually salutary and humbling for us to remember that. Uh, and that's fine. I don't think it's a reason not to vote, simply that we have a very small individual part to play. The other thing, of course, is pragmatically, you don't need me to tell you that there have been some occasions in, uh, not very, uh, in the not very distant past when a very small number of votes has swung an election. And so I won't waste your time going over all that lot again, just to say that um, all the difference is made on the margins. And who knows? how many hundreds or even dozens of votes might be decisive in those kinds of situations. So there's that. Now, just um, thinking about the pra practicalities of this now, I, I realise that uh, having been in a similar situation in England to what you're in here, uh, most people have no idea who their local elected representatives are. We have some idea of what our... Uh, congressional representatives might be like and senators might be like and we certainly have some idea of what the the presidential candidates will be like because a great deal more money and therefore advertising uh, revenue uh, great deal more money is spent on advertising and and publicity for those larger elections than is possible in these sort of smaller local situations and so I remember the situation in North London where or I knew our member of parliament personally and uh, I knew his policies and supported them quite wholeheartedly. And then I, that's before um, uh, the Conservative Member of Parliament was ousted by a, uh, a Labour politician who I didn't know personally and whose policies I didn't really like. Anyway, another story. And we saw, we, we all also certainly knew something about the leaders of those parties who stood to be Prime Minister. But who on earth knows anything about their local councillors? The truth is, uh, very few of us do. 
But actually, there's not much excuse for not knowing. I actually did this earlier, but I want to do it again now. So if I just, I've got my computer open here. I type uh, elections in Fort Worth 2023, and I get, okay, so the third result is ballotpedia.org. I click on this, and I've got, okay, I'm going to scroll down to District 7, which is where the church is, and I'm going to, they've got three names, Caleb Backholm, Jason Ellis, and Macy Hill. There are three candidates. So I'm going to, I get Caleb Backholm. I'm going to Google Caleb Backholm, uh, what he stands for in Fort Worth. There we are. And there we are, the top result, elect Caleb Backholm. And I'm not going to read to you his uh, website there, but you can do that. That took me about one minute or less. I can then go back and replace Caleb's name with Macy Hill. Macy Hill is, um, where is she? Here she is. Yeah, Macy Hill. So I can just literally type that in just to show how quick it takes, how quickly it is. Macy Hill, um, boom, what she stands for. There we are, macyhillcampaign.com. She's got her own website as well. I, I, I suspect we could easily form a conclusion in about one or two minutes by comparing these three web pages. Here's Jason Ellis, um, Jason Ellis, fortworth.com. He's got his own website too. So all those three people, I'm not going to tell you anything more about them because I'm not going to risk being accused of being partisan, which is not what I'm remotely interested in. Um, but each of them has a fairly distinctive look at least. Um, and I suspect some policy differences. Um, so look, didn't take that long, did it? That took about two minutes to just to dig those things up. And I think all of us realize that we probably in most circumstances owe those who are spending hundreds of hours and um, uh, thousands of dollars maybe tens of thousands of dollars uh, to stand we at least owe them you know the 30 seconds just to take a look at what they're saying and especially if it turns out that one or two of them are Christians and you imagine if you met a, a Christian brother or sister who was standing for office and he or she said well listen did you take the time even to read what it was that I stand for. I wanted to put myself in the firing line, so to speak, to try and defend Christian uh, values and a Christian way of life in local government. Did you take the time to look at my website to see that I, what I stand for? And wouldn't it be great if we could say, yeah, we did actually, and, and we thought either yes or no, we were or weren't going to vote for you because we maybe vote for somebody else, whatever it is. But I think that's uh, kind of the least that might be expected of us. I was struck by one more thing. I just want to share this with you before we finish. Uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. I don't think I've ever read this in public. Um, it's a remarkable speech. You know it very well. You, you know, studied it at school. We never studied it at school in England. So when I learned that two or three, well, three or four years ago that we were moving to England, I did some kind of study of American history. And I have to say, I was quite uh, struck by the thoughtfulness, both in uh, more distant history and in the more recent past, that is given to the form and nature of government in the United States. And having now lived here for over two years, I can see why. It is a form of government in principle, which is something to be proud of. But you remember what uh, Lincoln says in his famous short address. He remarks first that he's, we have come to dedicate a portion of that field, the battlefield on which he stood, as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It's altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But then he says... In another sense, we can't dedicate or consecrate this field, I'm paraphrasing now, and, and nor should we try to. Uh, the brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. In other words, they have done what makes this ground holy. We can't add anything to it. The world will remember them long after it forgets what we said here. Well, actually, that didn't turn out 
to be true in the case of uh, Lincoln's words here. But here's what's interesting, how it goes on. Uh, What is it for us to do? So Lincoln is there standing on the Gettysburg battlefield with how many dozen people. There weren't many people there, were there, if I recall, listening to him, listening to him. And he says, this is what it is for us to do. Quote, it is for us, the living rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honoured dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the earth. Well, that's something I read, like I said, a number of years ago as I was getting to know American political history. And I want to tell you, I found it quite stirring. And there are many people the world over who would uh, love to live in a uh, nation that seeks to have government by the people for the people, uh, government of the people, by the people, for the people. And uh, I don't want to uh, get arm twisty about it. As I said, I can think of circumstances in which the right and wise thing to do would be to not vote at all and just to walk away from an entirely corrupt array of candidates. But if you should find yourself in the privileged position of having somebody, a man or a woman, who is uh, Christian godly, principled, or at least broadly seeking to conserve the Christian values on which this remarkable nation was founded. It strikes me that Lincoln would line up alongside the framers of the Declaration of of Independence and probably the Apostle Paul as well and say, come on, uh, you all get out and vote unless there's some very good reason not to. So I hope that's stirring enough without being over the top. I do want to encourage uh, all of us to be politically engaged in the right way, and I think this is one obvious way in which to do it. As I said, I can't do so here. I've registered to vote in the United Kingdom and will continue to do so there while I'm able to, but until or unless I'm a citizen here, I won't be able to do that. So the Lord bless you as you take a few minutes, I hope, just to dig around online and find out uh, what the candidates who live near you stand for. Uh, or rather who represent the area in which you live, stand for. I hope you found that helpful, interesting, and look forward to seeing you soon. Bye for now.